signs of suffering. Um, so they are uh, ten signs of suffering. Hate what's happening. Focus on what's wrong. Hold breath. Uh, respond the way you always respond. Clench teeth. Insist. Worry incessantly. Defend your point of view. Be stuck. Struggle and hurry on to the next thing. Those are ten signs of suffering. <laughs> are you laughing because this is not so weighty like the second noble truth? <laughs> Listen, everybody knows, you know, it's not such a, even when you think about what did the Buddha, this, this may not, I hope this is not irreverence in the way, or, you know, uh, but when you think about the second noble truth, when you think about the four noble truths, maybe not the fourth, maybe not the first. You think about it when you think the cause of suffering is getting stuck in something. Who doesn't know that? Everybody knows that. You know, well, I mean, but, uh, but I actually think, somebody taught this to me a long, long time ago. He said there's a difference between knowing something with a small K and knowing it with a big K. Sometimes you know it. And sometimes you know it. You know what I mean? And when you see, when I see, how once again I have gotten stuck. Okay, stuck. So here are the ten signs of well-being. Appreciate what's happening. Notice what's working. This is opposed to focus on what's wrong. Notice what's working. Here is hold breath. Here is breathe. Here is uh, respond the way you always respond. Over here is notice habitual pattern. Because if you notice it, you might be able to do it some other way. Clench teeth. Relax another part of your body. Insist. Do something different. Worry incessantly. Pause. You might wonder, how do you do that? You know, that the difference between... Uh, you give an instruction to someone who's in the middle of a worry, like pause, not to look idiotic about it, because in the middle of a worry, caught in the grip of a worry, it's not an optional worry. It actually manifests itself as an absolute truth of dire circumstances. You can't tell a person, put your mind on something else. It trivializes the fact that they're actually worried. Um, a very sweet story about that kind of instruction. I said, I'm going to do parenthetically, and then you tell me to come back. I really want to get up to this. But uh, not too much, if you know, it'll either happen or not. Uh, Ajahn Jamdian was here last year. Maybe some of you were here. Did, were you here, anybody, when we met with Ajahn Jamdian up in that main big hall about a year ago when he was here? Ajahn Jamdian, for those of you who don't know, is a man about my age. He's a Thai. He doesn't speak English. He only speaks Thai. And he's been a monk all of his life. So he's in robes. And he comes here once a year for about a week and teaches. He'll be here next month. And uh, uh, Gary Buck translates for him, or Jack translates for him. So it's quite lovely to have him because he's, abs he's known for his Tremendous loving-kindness practice, the fact that he just has such an amazing aura of goodness about him. And he teaches that practice of goodness, and uh, you feel it in his presence. And he's, and he's fun. 
So uh, he taught something, and we all were up with him up there, and, and it was a lovely day. And uh, through uh, through the interpreter, people were asking questions, and someone said, uh, "The most asked question." Anyway, here was your question for today, but his was some, uh, the, whoever asked that question asked the most asked question. They said, "How will uh, how can I deal with my anger? I've been meditating and meditating, but..." Uh, I still get angry. How should I deal with my anger? It's very painful. And Ajahn Jamian said, well, anger is very painful. It hurts you right here in your heart. So it really burns. He said, so what you should do is you should fill your mind with the coolingness, the cool of peace, and then let that cool of peace flow down over your heart and cover it with the cool of peace. So this comes through Gary Buck, the translator. And everybody sits quietly for a moment or two. And then the same person who asked the question said, Gary, would you ask Ajahn Jamnian, please, how do you do that? <laughs> and, uh, and when he said it, you know, he said it. You know, he, like, you just do it, like it said here. You can either worry incessantly or you can pause. Okay, how can you pause? Can you, put, can you push a pause button in your worry and say, okay, now I'm not going to... Well, actually, I think that's part of what practice is about. That the liberation, one of the, one of the liberating aspects that I discover of familiarity with the habits of the mind is if I see one of my habits doing itself, and I actually see it quite clearly, if I'm able to relax enough, I can say, I'm taking this habit and I'm not doing it now. I'm doing something else. I'm taking my attention and I am putting it somewhere else. I'm putting it on my breath for a while. Or I'm putting it on this metta chant that I'm doing. Or I'm putting it into reading this recipe and making this soup. If when I finish this soup, it comes back, I'll think about it again, but it's gone now. And the awareness of the ability to take your attention and put it someplace else is a huge liberation. Will you ever, can you do that? Sometimes say, I'm not doing that. You know, that um, it, it became, uh, it's, a, it's like a, an expression in current parlance now. People say, just don't go there. Well, you know, <laughs> you know but, but seriously, we say it because, you know, like you're on your way somewhere, and you say, just don't go there. Do something else. Or you went there, come back from there. Don't do that anymore. Don't do it. The way I do that sometimes myself is I give myself periods of time. I say, okay, I'm not doing that for an hour. For an hour, I'm not going there. For an hour from now, if it comes back, I'll think about whether I want to be there. But, and it's the very awareness that we have choice that deconstructs the sense that what was all-encompassing is real. It's an optional focus of attention could really attend to it. Say, but, but what if it's really true? What if such and such dire circumstance is really happening? Well, then I'll find out about it then. You know, think about how much time we pre-worry things. Anybody here is a chronic worrier? Or was? No, I actually was, 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 was. Much better though. It's terrible, isn't it, when you are? I'll tell you the last three things on here because really they may be the sum of everything we were going to say. This is uh, defend your point of view, and this is speak intentionally. This is be stuck, 
This is notice sensation. This is struggle. This is open your heart. Do you know what open your heart means in, in, in contrast to struggle? What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Get off your point of view. Let it go, Edie says. What else? Yeah. Well, you told me your name last week, and it's Joanne. Joanne said it's like standing in the wind like this, or like relaxing, and that the difference is it's the same wind, but you're not so uncomfortable in it. You know, the, I think what everybody has said are examples of permutations of being able to say, it's like this. This is what's happening. The wind is blowing. This trouble is in my life. This pain is in my mind. I can either be in contention with it, or I can say, this is what's happening. It doesn't make it better than it is. If it's a painful thing that's happening, it's still a painful thing that's happening. But it's pain uncomplicated by the extra pain of contention. It's just not adding the extra pain. Really, when I, I, I think that when I began to practice, and I, I learned about this tradition and I started to practice, I actually thought that, I, that the point of meditation was the end of pain, not the end of suffering. It was very sort of so a little bit surprising and disappointing to find it wasn't the end of pain. I have no idea what I was thinking about. How, how could it have been the end of pain? I mean, where was I? It's like some, such a naivete to think that somehow you can end the pain in your life. But I imagine I was, I was, I don't, maybe I was, oh, taken by, by an image of meditators who lived in another world who was so uh, apart from this plane of existence that it just passed them by. But I don't want that to pass me by. I mean, I am really doing my practice so I can live in the middle of it and, and be more awake in it. Okay, let's do the last one. This says, hurry to the next thing. And this says, be willing to feel your truth. That was the other one I had turned down for you. It says, there are, ways to respond. there are many ways to respond to the same thing. Hate it. You see, it's just feet with a box, you know. Here the feet are kicking the box. Hate it. Use it. Speak to it. Listen to it. Avoid it, face it, go inside it, go beyond it. Face it in an interesting way. Face it from a different side. See it as a gift and see it as a mystery. Do you want to see this? I'll pass it around and see it as it goes around. So I wanted to talk about the interface between waking up seeing life and seeing these insights. I'm very happy for your question about uh, what about thoughts and thinking and thinking in a new way. I've come to, by the way, to talk about what we do more as contemplative practice than as meditative practice. It's a meditation. It's only, it's it's just a, um, it's just semantics to say it's contemplative and not meditative. But I really, I, I really want to say that uh, I, want, I really wanted to include clearly 
the fact that we get to understand things in a new way. We don't divorce ourselves from it. I think maybe sometimes meditative has the idea of pull away. Really want to be able to look at my life with a new and expanded vision. I want to be awake to it. That was what I was thinking about in terms of the theme of awakeness that's part of these very days. You know, that I want to be awake to the ways in which I am not liberated. Um, I think about the fact that uh, although the, 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 the story of the Exodus, which is a story that people who celebrate Passover will read tonight, is the historical story of going out from a place of bondage. Um, that I think of myself as going out many times a day from, from slavery. That every time I've gotten caught in a thought that holds me hostage, I am once again enslaved. And when I discover that it's a habit pattern of mine that's built that, that is enslaving my mind, it's a habit that I haven't finished with yet then I go out from slavery. Remember last week, we, I, I, I talked a lot about the fact that I had only by then become aware that the fact that I'm frightened about the world situation, I'm, I'm more, than, more than concerned, frightened about it, keeps clouding my mind, and that fear is a mind clouder. And I thought about it a lot because I've been thinking my one of my consciousness practices for these weeks uh, leading up to this particular full moon is where am I still trapped? I thought I would ask you to think about what's the what are the traps that you're stuck in? Maybe we'll sit a little bit. But I'll tell you this as a, as as my example, and then maybe you could think about it. There are five classical ways in which the mind gets caught and. Uh, creates uh, uh, tortures for us. One of them is it gets caught in fear. Mine gets caught in fear more than anything else. It's just my constitution. That's how I got born, I think. Uh, when in doubt, worry is, I think, what my <laughs> inner... Uh, uh, yeah, and. And I, and I don't believe it's an ethnic characteristic, although people you know, like to do that and mock a little bit. I don't believe that. I think all ethnicities share that. You know, that I think it's a universal mind trait, when in doubt, worry. And other people, when they are challenged, they doubt. I did it wrong. It comes out as somehow this challenge is my fault. Other people, when they're challenged, they, they, they lose their courage and their strength, and the mind gets uh, too tired to go on. Tiredness and um, lack of energy is, is their main difficulty. Other people get mad. Some people say, I have a short fuse. Anybody here has a short fuse? They usually come from people with short fuses. I love it that we can actually say that, you know, so it's not a... It's not a bad thing. It's not. Uh, it's not a. It's not a moral flaw. Flaw. I don't think. It's just part of uh, uh, the part of the constitution that we come from. I like to tell people that um, 
I worry a lot, and I can't carry a tune, and uh, and I'm short. You know that, that it, you know it, it came with the equipment. It's probably in part of the genome, something or other. So it's it, and and my friend Joseph says a whole list of things about himself, and then he says, "And the sky is blue." It's in the same. It's just the way it is. You know, you have to be morally responsible for it. You know, I'd like to be three inches taller and twenty pounds lighter and carry a tune and not worry, but that's not the way it came, you know. So that, uh, and, the, and, in, and these things, I, I, taller and more tuneful I can't get, but I can worry less because it's a habit. And the great, the great liberating news is that awareness of the habits of mind is the first step to transforming the habits of mind. And I think what we are doing the whole of the entire life as part of the spiritual work is we are transforming the habits of mind from self-serving to other-serving, one way or another. But I'm telling you all this so that you'd be thinking about what, what are the habits of mind that still keep you from being liberated? I get frightened more than anything. I don't get greedy so much. Some people get caught and I have to have this. I can't be happy until I have this. Yeah? The, the, here is a really important point. I actually also think it's a, that it's. I, first of all, I have two. I have two possibilities. I can either respect or disrespect. So I'd much rather respect because I don't want to be in contention with anything. But and when I worry, maybe there's something constructive I can do. I, I, I'm thinking about changing the idea of worry into concern. Concern is what parents have for their children. I think it's the part of me that wants to care for things, and I think it's part of everyone that wants to care for things. This is the way it works out not so well for me. If I am not aware of the fear in my mind whenever it's there, it will have written a fearful end on the current circumstance there. And that will continue to close my mind and preclude my seeing more creative ends. Remember, I told, maybe some, some people were on here last week, it was a very big awareness for me to realize that, uh, I'll tell you this, this little piece of story. I had been saying to people for the last month, two months, since uh, I've been really concerned about the, the move towards a, a, a fighting war, I've been saying to people who said to me, how are you? I'm as well as I can be, given the state of what's going on in the world. And I had thought that that was a good thing to do. I, first of all, I felt that that was my truth. I'm as good as I can be, given the state of the world. Who could be good, given what's going on? Is that anyone? So I thought it was an honest answer. And I thought also it invited people to tell me where they were. And so I had a lot of very interesting sharings back and forth with people. I would say that, and people would say, yes, yes, I'm so eager to talk about that. I also. I'm struggling terribly, and I actually I convinced myself I was doing a good deed by talking to the postal workers and the 
my hairdresser and the people checking out of the supermarket and everybody. I thought, well, great, I'm getting the whole community to discuss the world. And one day, just before last Wednesday, because I remember I talked about last Wednesday, I was in one of those circumstances, maybe checking out of the supermarket, and someone said, uh, uh, how are you? And I said, well, I'm as good as I can be, given the state of the world. And I heard myself say it, and I thought, wait a minute, am I really? Is that a true answer? Am I really as good as I can be? And I realized that actually I wasn't. You know, that in, until I was as good as I could have been up to that moment, because I was blind and I wasn't seeing. As soon as I saw that what I was, in addition to being concerned, was mad. And I'm not seeing mad in the, in the mind. I am mad. I'm mad at X, Y, and Z for having created the circumstances that are going on. I really am mad. And that the mad is doing a couple of things. First of all, the mad is closing my mind and my heart, because it always does, and blinding me to any kind of seeing of possibilities that it'll work itself out and that human beings will figure it out and it'll be actually a better world in the end. And or we'll make it a better world, or the peace movement will so rise up that it will triumph in ways that no one could have imagined and will transform the whole world. That's another possibility. But the mad had closed my mind. And I so was not aware of the mad that there was a way in which what I thought was a, uh, an honest answer to people was actually a kind of a mean-spirited answer. Like I was mad at the world for not having fixed itself up in a better way sooner I was sort of letting everybody have it. I mean, this person who I'm walking out of the supermarket who said, how are you, really doesn't want to have a political discussion, just saying, how are you, it's nice. I could have said, uh, I'm okay, how are you? And then if they had said, you know, I'm struggling with the world, I could have talked about it, but I really didn't have to be laying my trip on them. And it was kind of my irritability of the world. That's kind of, you know, it's when people say, uh, kind of people are in a work situation and they're sort of flouncing around and being and people say what's the matter with you they say well you know this terrible thing happened to me this morning and we have a feeling like if something bad happened to us that we can let everybody have a piece of our minds somehow that it's an all right thing to do it's not an all right thing to do but you know and and i really was not doing it with malice well truth is i was you know truth is i realized if i'm mad at the world for not having fixed itself up sooner, then I'm giving it to the world for not having fixed it up sooner. Is that, is that reasonably clear? Because it was such a relief. Because having caught myself doing it, I went out from that slavery. Also felt, I realized that I felt a little morally incorrect to say to people uh, when they said, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Because how could I possibly say that? The world is terrible, there are people fighting and killing each other. Like, it's not fair to say, I'm fine. Actually, I'm as good. I, you know, maybe in that moment, I'm fine. Maybe in that moment, my mind is at ease. Maybe in that moment, I'm feeling hopeful. Maybe in that moment, who knows? But, you know, really, there was something quite liberating about seeing that there was a whole part of me that I hadn't seen, that I was then free from. I've been in a much more hopeful mood this whole week. It's terrible what's going on in the world. Daily, we are faced with more headlines about which I have to do something. I have to do something in me that 
sends it to a thousand people on my email listservs, whatever, but doesn't get mad at it. You keep on doing something, Sylvia. But mad is out. Mad is not helpful. Does that? Yeah. How are you going to say? Maybe, 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 tell me your name again. Peg. Peg. Maybe for me, Peg, what was, what was so telling was my awareness that I was bent on pulling everybody down. Mm-hmm. That my real reason for sharing was not edifying the world, but letting them have it a little bit, because the world has been annoying me recently. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, <laughs> No, no, I think actually that's exactly what I'm hopeful that, 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 that this whole talk is about this morning, about how are we going to know how we really feel. The question for me these weeks, and I've been asking it to myself, actually I was asking it to myself every day a lot of times, and maybe that's what caused me to wake up in this one supermarket, is what am I not seeing about myself? Where am I held hostage? What if you asked it to yourself? You want to sit for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, have it as a koan, a thought? What would I need to let go of? What would I need to see? How would I say it to myself? I was saying to myself, what am I not seeing that is holding me hostage? Or even what am I seeing that is holding me hostage, if it's more obvious than that? What am I not seeing that's causing me to be enslaved? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.